right in front of him. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome into another episode of the Just Basketball Show, a Wednesday edition of the podcast. We're looking back on our favorite moments of the 2022-23 NBA season. If you're finding us for the first time, go ahead and hit, hit follow or subscribe wherever you are finding us, including YouTube, where you can hit the bell, get a notification when a show goes up. Drop a comment with your thoughts on your favorite moments of the season. I'm Brendan Clean. That's Chris Manning. We are back for another show. The, the season is almost over, Chris, and uh, it's a good time to, to take this midweek show to, to look backward, say goodbye to some teams that we probably won't talk about much more the rest of the way. Um, we also are going to get into the end of the women's college basketball season, the lead up to the WNBA draft next week, and the insane uh, story that has just kind of taken over sports this week with that, that Final Four and Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese and all of it. Um, first, my birthday was yesterday. Um, oh we didn't my God. record. I've, uh, holy crap. I'm Brendan. I want to say for the record that I am awful, that I did not wish you a happy birthday. You even said last I week mean, on this to show. To be fair, I don't think you, your birthday was did coming. you know it was my birthday? No, but here's the thing. Like I, we are friends, we are coworkers and I feel like yeah. I should have figured this out. I, you know, maybe I just wasn't on Instagram enough yesterday, but happy birthday. Congratulations that you know you're gonna get probably Julian Nagelsmann at your football club of choice that you like you know you're gonna get to cover Kevin Durant in the playoffs so have happy birthday buddy. It's a great week. We got we got music that I like. We got Succession back. We got Kevin Durant back on the court. It, the the universe aligned for me at least for one week. So I'm I'm appreciative of that. My story though related to basketball on this topic was going to be that uh, my wife and I went to this place. I'm sure they're all over like a, like an adult arcade where they have like food and a bar and sports up on the, on on the wall and and on the TVs and whatnot. So, but this one had like almost entirely old, like retro games. It's pretty small place and they had NBA jam. Ooh. And so I got to play NBA jam for the first time in, I can't even tell you how many years did you, were you an NBA jam guy? I was retroactively. Um, I, you know, I was. It was I mean, a little like bit. Neither one of us were were like alive early, enough to be doing it yeah. in its heyday, right? But like, correct, yeah. But like after the fact, I definitely played it. You know, it's 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 a good time. What's your combo? Because this one, it the the game tells you the the most common duos that there are in in obviously the Suns were number one because it was in Phoenix. I believe I played a few different rounds, and I think number two was the 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 Bulls with MJ and Pippen. Sure. And I think number three was Shaq and Penny with the Magic. So those were the three most popular on this particular box. Did were you just Cavs all the way? What was your strategy here? No, definitely some Cavs, but like it played with like I remember playing. I think with Ewing and Oakley at one point, and like the original. Um, I think I want to say. I want to say there was like a Sean Kemp one. I can't remember who he would have been paired with, but like Sonic Sarah, Sean Payton, Kemp. Right? He maybe you would think, but maybe there was like I don't. I did. You have to check the year, and then you know it just hasn't uh, aged well. But you know Stockton and Malone also just like pretty great. Yep. Just like as, a, as, an, as an OG, NBA yeah, as an iconic, well. as, an, as an iconic deal. So that those would be mine, but definitely some, definitely some Cavs But it's. Like if I like, I mean, Price and Doherty of that time is just like one of the best Cavs duos that has ever existed. But I feel like they should remake it now. Honestly, I really feel so like they should that bring was the other back. thing I was going to bring up is my real experience playing NBA Jam. Like I, I have played it at arcades. I've played that original one before a lot. Yesterday was not the first time, but I used to play. They had a, an app version on like iPhones, but I didn't have an iPhone back then. I had an iPod Touch. And my like middle school days of playing the NBA Jam app game on my iPod Touch on the school bus between my house and school are, uh, I don't want to say best memories because that makes me sound incredibly lame, but as a, a nerdy basketball fan who just wanted like as much of it as I could get, uh, my, my go-to with that because it was like current time was Durant and, Re- and Westbrook. And that's about, that. that's a pretty fun you got to have the small guy and you got to have the big guy, even though it's a game where you don't really have to actually have basketball skills. Sure. It feels wrong if you don't have the balance there. So Durant and Russ is like really in my heart of hearts. That's my NBA jam duo, but that makes me sound young. So I don't talk about that. 
No, I mean, I get it. I, I, what would be the most fun <laughs> duo? I, like, I, we're all, we're, I'm, you know, I wish I was younger than I am, but here we are. But what is, Brennan, what is the, what is the um, duo you'd like to see now? And if you could pick like a duo in the league right now, who would be your NBA Jam duo? Probably LeBron and AD. I think that's the most fun one from like a, what NBA Jam is, which is just like who can dunk and jump and, you know, do like the shoving defense that you play in that game. I would, I would probably say LeBron and AD. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Um, Are you proud of me? I didn't go the Homer pick and, and say Booker and Duran. I mean, that's, yeah, that I, was right my, there for me. You threw me a softball and I actually yeah. just took it as a, as a ball outside. I, I, I went in a different direction with it. That's growth. I, I'm thinking like Anthony Edwards and, and Towns. All right. I respect that. You also, uh, the other one that came to mind is Zion and Ingram. Yeah. I mean, but like this, you know, what is, are they returning on? Like uh, uh, there's no injuries, right? Cause like, otherwise we're just, yeah. Some of the jumping that, that happens in that game where you soar like above the hoop. I don't, I don't know if Zion's body structure lands, lands that plane very well. So uh, let's, let's navigate our way out of that. But I just, I went back in the basketball nostalgia well last night. And so I wanted to bring, you and our listeners right along for the ride. But let's get into this Iowa-LSU National Championship game from uh, Sunday night, Chris, or Sunday afternoon. Uh, let's start with the game. Um, I don't know how much you want to get into the other stuff. Uh, we can we can go into it as little or as much I, there, as, as we there, make our way into, there, but it was an amazing one, game. Th- there's only one thing to say about the other stuff, and that's that Caitlin Clark said she does not care that injuries talk trash and that she actually endorses it. And anyone else who's complaining, particularly elderly white men on the internet, can like... You know, like, let's go. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Yeah. I, my, I, on That's the it. other stuff, and then we will get into the game. Um, Shaq's timeline will speak for me on the matter. Um, if people haven't checked out what Shaq has been saying on Twitter, he's been a, a real reply guy just defending his LSU sisters and pretty much everything that he's put out there. I, I feel pretty similarly on with this one. I don't agree with Shaq on every single thing in life, I don't think. But uh, with this one. I definitely do. But let's get into the game. Uh, LSU scored over 100 points in a 40-minute college basketball game. That's pretty insane. And they beat the National Player of the Year who swept like all of the different million versions of National Player of the Year that college basketball gives out. Caitlin Clark was all of them, and LSU beat her. To me, uh, in large part, what they were able to do that South Carolina on Friday wasn't, Chris, is they just made her have to play physical defense. They screened her a bunch. They just involved her player, the player player she was guarding in mm-hmm. action a lot more than South Carolina was able to. And yeah, they got, they probably got lucky with some calls. They probably got lucky that she missed a few shots and, and things that she normally wouldn't. But I think that led to her fouls and her lack of rhythm and then their offense was just able to take over and Iowa's defense. We know Iowa's defense is not going to really be the reason they win. So that was that. I mean, it's, it's an oversimplification, but when it's one player doing so much for a team, all you got to do is make that player 10, 15% worse and credits Kim Mulkey and and their players. They were able to execute it and, and they won. I mean, just Kim Mulkey, I think deserves like a ton of credit as a basketball coach for how well, she has done at this program, like took them to where they've never been before, won them their first title, like, and is, has buy-in, you know, seemingly from like everyone on that team, right? Like you, you hear like Angel Reese and others in that team, what they say about Kim Mulkey, it's like they buy into her and they buy into what she's doing there. And she absolutely outcoached at like every angle of this game. She was the much, much better coach of these two. And it kind of like went in the game in a big way. And you know, the Clark part of it, the Clark, the Clark stuff's part of it as well. It, and you don't even feel like anyone on you know LSU necessarily was as dominant as maybe you'd expect in a game that lopsided. It very much felt like a pretty balanced thing. You know, injuries. I thought you know, Alexis was, Morris was was yeah. very good. Like, and, and and it was cool to see because Zaya Cook was great for South Carolina in that yeah. mid range area, and that's the shot Iowa just decided. All right, we're in the Final Four. We're not letting you get layups, but you can have anything else you want. <laughs> and. LSU was like, all right, sounds good. We, we can yeah. beat you with jumpers. And Alexis Morris was was awesome, but agreed. Like, no one went off. No one was like, you know, the stars, quote unquote, it was balanced. Yeah, I mean, you got you had a really nice game from Jasmine Carson off the bench. She was five of six from three, seven, eight from the field for, for a team high 22. 
But like Angel Reese, you know, Angel Reese was like good in this game, but wasn't like as if she was bad. She still had a double double because like all she does is rack up double doubles. But that's like, it. I know she is literally a walking double double. It's insane. She she had fifteen and ten and was like five of twelve from the field, but like got to line eight times. Like everyone in that LSU team like contributed something, right? Like it wasn't one player dominating. It wasn't one player dictating everything for them in the way like it, it kind of has been at times. It felt like for Iowa to some degree. I mean, even in this game, Clark has thirty. Their next highest score has 13. And like, I get that. Like, and she has doubled the shots of, of the person who took the next amount of shots. And like, I get that that is going to happen to some degree. Um, but it, it, that's part of the story to me, right? That LSU just has a collective, just kind of kick the crap out of Iowa in a lot of ways. Yeah. And you mentioned the coaching, right? Where I think on Friday, Lisa Bluter actually, to me, mm-hmm. the Iowa coach out coached Don Staley, which is not something. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't you happen say very often about anybody. Yeah, right. But like, I think Kim Mulkey then took that and, and one-upped it to another level. And and I do feel like, you know, college basketball, college sports, but but especially basketball, it's a lot about coaching because that's the one constant. And Mulkey proved herself. Like, she's now won four of these. That's not a, a, a thing many people that have ever coached anything can say. And to do it with two programs, pretty darn impressive. Um, but from a WNBA perspective, since we are predominantly concerned uh, with that, Chris. Um, I I don't even want to do like the sports business version of the ratings conversation because I think that's a little wonky and and boring. But Caitlin Clark is... There's been better prospects, I think, in the history of the league, in my opinion. I'm not willing to go to any depths before we even see her suit up as a pro. She may not even be close to the best player in WNBA history, but I feel comfortable saying that she's going to revolutionize this league if if she stays healthy, um, based on what we've seen. I, I just I, I just feel like basketball is really defined by these game changers who who play the sport differently and get a level of popularity and celebrity around them as a result of that. And again, there might be better talents than her, just like there's been better talents than Steph Curry, who she's being compared to a lot, right? She, no one thinks Steph Curry is the best basketball player ever, but you could make a pretty legit case that he has been one of the most famous basketball players ever mm-hmm. and changed the game and how it was played and how it was shaped and everything way more than almost anyone ever has. And I think she's on that type of a trajectory after 10 million people watch this championship game, which it's not even like there's not even a number two. It's just that game. And then all the other stuff down below it in terms of attention that's been paid to this sport, which gets ignored way too often. The the thing I will add, I think that I think some of the conversations by people jumping in that I, I think they've missed. And I, and I say this as like a, is like a head of role, like white man. Like I'm not exactly coming here from like the perspective of like being, of like the audience really I think being seen by this and like really buying into this in a lot of ways. I'm not Mm -hmm. like love it, but I'm saying I come from like that perspective. This Mm -hmm. has been like a multi-year growth where like the, the support for women's basketball, both the WNBA level and at the college level has grown. Richard Deitch had this in his column at the athletic, um, last year's final between South Carolina and UConn averaged nearly 5 million viewers across the, across three channels. That was the most watched title games at UConn, Tennessee in 2004. The semifinal last year between UConn and Stanford averaged 3.2 million, and then uh, the the most the largest semifinal before that was a 2012 win between Baylor and Stanford, which drew 3.76 million. Kaylin Clark, I think, absolutely has drawn in more casuals. There was this word of mouth. There was this buzz. There was this energy. Like, there's a reason like the like Bill Simmons like talked about it on his show for like a decent amount of time on Sunday, which is like, do you like them okay. debating men's versus women's basketball for 30 minutes? That was a fun I, conversation. Look, here's the thing. I I I like bill simmons mostly i like i think russillo is good i, I like do Van too Lincoln. obviously i clicked in and listened but it was <laughs> but a, it was a I, very I, silly but, conversation but it was like screaming for them to like have a woman on the show and someone to tell them that like guess what the, the the growth of women's basketball just isn't this one moment it is like dating back to yeah. sabrina inescu and kelsey plum and asia wilson and that the fact that WNBA is growing like the metrics we see and like the 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 interest and the TV and all of that is growing and growing and growing. It still has to, a lot more to grow and a lot more financial growth still to come. But this is like a multi year thing. This feels like the like a a, ver, a peak of some kind just because Caitlin Clark drew so much casual and drew so and kind of I think was the star of both the men's and women's tournaments by like a significant margin, right? Like that this was the star player. 
and the, and the most talked about player regardless of gender in these two tournaments. But this is like a multi-year yeah. growth thing that I think this is like, this is a moment where like, this feels like a moment where let's see where it goes now. Let's see if this kid, does the WNBA see a boost in, in its notoriety well, in the summer? That's exactly where I want to go. I mean, I don't think it'll be a one-to-one because only Aaliyah Boston out of this final four is, is going to even be there, right? So it's not the same as, as, Call, as men's college be, well, for a we'll lot of see, the reasons we'll, we'll that have been if, talked about. And we'll, we'll, like, we'll see if Zia Cook gets drafted. I know she's not projected in like many firsts, but if she sticks somewhere like yeah. that, I mean, I that's at least another I mean, name. W- another sure. name. She absolutely will, uh, you know, be a talented prospect, whatever, but, you know, who who drove this is, is it's Caitlin, it's Angel Reese, it's Aaliyah Boston. We know that's how basketball works. And, and I think to pick up on your point, my last kind of thing on this, again, in terms of the, the the revolutionizing of the sport and the people that have done that, like the men's side, we kind of know the names, right? Will did it, you know, just made us, okay, well, that's possible for an athlete on a basketball court. Okay, you know, Magic and Bird, like they kind of brought that ABA style to the NBA. I feel like Jordan, it was just like, okay, a guard can can dominate the sport. You know, a, a guy who's not six, seven or taller can do this and 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 whatever. I even put Shaq in there a little bit on the men's side. I feel like LeBron, obviously the women's side, you know, it's Candace Parker dunking and playing point forward and doing it on both ends. You have Brianna Stewart bring kind of bringing that five out to the W like Clark will do this, but I, the magic and bird one is kind of where I, I zero in the most because the W still has this benefit of having its college athletes become famous household names who have a history with the audience before they get to the pros and and can cultivate more of a following and audience at the highest levels. And so the W has a real responsibility here to maximize the attention that the lower level is getting. You know, the uh, it's not just Caitlin Clark or any of these athletes either. It's the t- people who caused a stir and, and got the branding and the commitment and the investment changed with Sedona Prince and everything in 2021. It's it's all the changes and athletes you've been talking about who who kind of the past five to 10 years have, have built us to where we are now. I would even throw like a Rike Gumbawale in there making the, the crazy uh-huh. shots that she did and all that. Like the W needs to, to, to carry the momentum forward and people like places like ESPN and Nike and their partners have to treat it as an opportunity. Otherwise the momentum does, we can't wait till next March to talk about any of this stuff again. So the athletes yeah. are doing their part. The sports entertaining. It's like, all right, everybody else, like, like, let's get this going because the, you know, the audience is there and the sport is super duper entertaining. Well, and there, here's just some of the names. This isn't all of them, but these are some of the names that will be coming back to college, women's college basketball next year, and likely then will be going into the 2024 WNBA. You would assume maybe they take a COVID year or whatever, but like this is like some of the names that you would think heading through last year of college and then could be transitioning to the pros. And, and I think all to varying degrees carry really, really big audiences. Caitlin Clark, Paige Becker's ever heard of her. She's going to come back from a knee injury next year. And we'll, and you know, was like the most, I mean, we, if we get robbed of like prime page Beckers, that really sucks for just people who like basketball. Angel Reese, Cameron Brink. Well, she'll be actually two more years. Angel Reese is not going to be in next year's draft. Two two more years. Mm -hmm. She's on this mock that I'm looking at. So like, that's my apologies. This person uh, messed it up. Cameron Brink, Haley Van Lith. Georgia O'Moore, who's like maybe not on the same level of practice as those, but was one of the most fun players in the tournament. She had more threes at one point in the tournament than Caitlin Clark for a really good Virginia Tech team that made a really nice run. Like, there is so much talent. There is so much star power. There are so much people that have followings on social and are bringing in all these new fans to basketball. And this is a, this, this should, this should be like a generational kind of pivotal moment. It really, really yeah. shouldn't should be talked about in that way. It should be talked about seriously in that way, not just as like a oh, there's one person doing one thing. No, this is like a generation of people, a generation of athletes that are gonna be in our lives for a long time and be, I think, the head of like basketball in this in the country for a long time. There's obviously guys, people in the league now, you know, Asia Wilson, Kelsey Plum, like Candace Parker's obviously still around, like Sabrina, like there's Brianna Stewart, like you have all these stars. But there's this younger generation coming up that is going to be like the headline makers for like the next 15 years if everything kind of goes to plan. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, we're getting we already have super teams that are going to come kind of dominate the conversation in the W this summer. You add young talent that that will make a deeper league, a more, 
you know, generationally split up league. Whereas right now the, the W is a little bit, you know, the, the star power is consolidated at the, in the older people in terms of recognizable household names. So I, I think that it's coming at the right time. Uh, let's just see what, how it all plays out and which teams these players even end up on. That's going to be fun to, to plot out as well. But Chris, let's move on to our favorite moments of the NBA season. Uh, we each picked, I picked five. Did you pick five? Uh, yes, I believe so. Let me, all right. So I have five and then I have a couple of honorable mentions, which we can do at the end. We won't, we won't start with them. Um, I'll let you go first. I went, uh, I went silly and big real basketball stuff. I went all over the board. So, um, I hope you did too, but I'll let you pick your first one to start us off here. So I, I went a little more, kind of just a gut feeling and there there's there's one funny one i did mention that i thought about this morning that i'm really mad i didn't so i hope i hope you picked it because we i think we actually talked about it on the show but i'm gonna make just a note get of it own. and we can get to it in the honorable mentions at the end all right i'll see if you bring it up first i'm gonna go with my homer one first though i kind of just have to and that's because i saw it that's in fair. person and to me like it's one of the defining performances of the season that's donovan mitchell scoring 71 fucking points in a basketball game okay you know how hard that is you know, hard that like, let's just like, think about this. We've, I mean, is it two... hard anymore? I feel like, I feel it's like still one of the hard. lessons of this season if we're is gonna like, start, is okay. it easy now? If, if we're going to start being like 71 points isn't hard, then I think like even it's, it's not like it's being done every night. It was done twice. Okay. Like, it's Fair. not like we're like someone's averaging, like, like someone's averaging 71. <laughs> and like th- this game, I think like is such an encapsulation. I think of what has made this season really special for Donovan Mitchell. He was relentless. He just kind of picked up the slack at every point. He played with a purpose the entire game, and he was just not going to be denied this entire game. It ends with, you know, he has to continue this by missing a free throw. He did, get, he did commit a lane violation they didn't call him for, but, like, you know, he just kind of breezed past that, and he, gets the t- and, he gets, and he gets the offensive rebound, and they keep going, and he just kept going and going and going. And this is a guy flamed out in Utah with the defense. He's kind of talked about it. You can feel that there's just, like, an energy behind him to prove a point this year. This is the best basketball I think he's ever played in his career. This is like just like, hey, they need me to do this. I went at it. And I, I, this might have been the last time he actually spoke to the media, but they actually did a cool thing this game where Kevin Love, who has you know, been around LeBron and been around like actual NBA history, they bring him out and he does the, the other podium. Um. You know, and it was cool to hear him talk about Mitchell, talk about the history of it, talk about how he'd never seen anything like that. So to me, this was just like getting to be there, getting to see that. It's one of those games that is just like burned into my memory. So I had to go that. I think he, I, I think Donovan is one of the stories of the season. I think, you know, him arriving was obviously big from the offseason and then taking the Cavs to the next level up from Ooh, interesting young team to, you know, most people expecting them to make the second round and, you know, a, a little bit of a dark horse possibility to go even further than that. So I don't think it's just a homer pick or anybody. I don't think there's anyone who, who if they don't appreciate it, they're probably in the wrong, not you. I feel like Donovan to me has a kind of a lot riding on him this playoffs or, or, has some, I don't want to say pressure, like I, whatever word you want to use, I feel like there will be attention paid to what level of team can he can can he create by arriving and, and how much higher and further can he go with Cleveland than he was able to with Utah? And, you know, is this roster construction maybe better for him than that one was? And just all, all of these kinds of questions that come with a reset in your career. But yeah, the 71 is kind of the high point for him, but I feel like he's had you know, multiple, even the first week or so of the season that came against Boston, where he went toe to toe with Tatum. He's had lots of 40 and 50 point games throughout the year. Um, he's, he's one of the absolute best scorers in the league and he's taken his, his game to yet another level. I mean, I think, I think we definitely will remember Donovan from, from this season and he might have more moments coming in the playoffs. He, he just had his third trade for 40th point game and that put him past LeBron James. He has 12 40 point games in the season. That is more than LeBron ever had in a single season with the Cavs. Think about that for a second. LeBron's name in Cavs record book forever is just everywhere. Like he's going to have number one on like most everything. And, and no one's ever going to catch him as the best player in Cavs history. That is never going to happen. Right? Like that's likely, like that is very unlikely ever to happen. 
Donovan Mitchell is having like one of the best offensive seasons ever, maybe the best offensive season ever by a Cavs player not named LeBron James. And he's like he this is this moment was the pinnacle of it, I think. Can't wait. I very excited to see him in the playoffs against the Knicks. Very excited. I had Lillard 71 as an honorable mention. Okay. Um I thought Mitchell's was better personally. I feel like Lillard sort of I guess we just knew he was capable of it. And so maybe that's why maybe I'm kind of holding that against him. It felt sure. like a Damian Lillard game that just happened to have like 20 more points than any of the other ones had had before. You know, like it just it was like, yeah, eh, Dame can do that. Check check that box off. He got to 70 this time. Like, I know that's a, that's crazy, but I think it's also a testament to how great he is. Um, but I, I would have pit if I had to pick one of those two that I'll probably remember more and that felt more meaningful in the moment. I do feel like I would pick Mitchell. Uh, we've had the Lillard conversation of why his year was a little bit disappointing uh, already multiple times recently, but um, they both kind of go hand in hand, especially how weird it is that they landed on the exact same number. Yeah. Uh, we might get more of these in the future. We'll see. But this just to me has, this just to me has to be on there. It's one of the defining performances of the season. So for me, this was a must. What's your, what's your first one, Brennan? Yeah, let's go with, I think I saw it on yours um, a minute ago. LeBron James breaking the scoring record. Oh yeah, this, this, this is, this, is, this wasn't, this wasn't what I brought up first. This, if I didn't bring up Mitchell first, I was going to bring up LeBron first because this is also yeah. on my list. It, it has to be, it has to be. I think, it, is this the biggest regular season moment of the year? I think it is just in the NBA, regardless yeah. of yeah. who you are. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, it's a, it's a historic moment. It is the the most historic thing that we've seen anybody do right like we've never seen obviously anyone score this many points for this long on this stage the history of it the, the moment of like everyone was watching it it felt like it, it you know you could tell how much it meant to lebron obviously like the, the, you know they didn't win the game and that was like a little weird and like there's like there's rust stuff with it and all this was weird but this was such a this is something that we will in our lifetimes, Brandon, probably never see replicated. We're never going to well, see. That's where I this wanted to go with again. it is. Yeah. The. That moment to me was a reminder of how. Uh, the longevity that he's been able to have, I think we just. It, 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 the, the LeBron's a robot, you know, never getting hurt, all that. The LeBron James of feet with the ruptured tendon that he apparently had this this past season right now that we're in and all those kinds of things get plenty of attention like obviously but you know he's in his late 30s still as one of the best players in the NBA and making us all kind of you know nervous of what he might do in the west this year but when you really just take a step back and you look at the number of points and I think to me Chris honestly especially how far anyone else is from him some of the players who we associate with being the best scorers playing in the league right now, or even just some of the best that have already retired, whatever it is. And you just think how far away they are like Carmelo Anthony, not probably ever going to play in the NBA again. He's mm -hmm. more than 10,000 points away from LeBron. Kevin Durant is 13th on the all time scoring list. He's almost 12,000 points from LeBron James. Like, it, like you said, it, I'm not sure we will ever. I, I don't know if anyone in the league right now is going to threaten this record. That's how high up the standard is that he's set. Like people have talked about, okay, Luca could do it, or you know, whoever you want to throw out there. It's always going to be a long shot. Like this is one of those sports records that it's just going to hold up. It's so difficult to be that great for that long, and it it was a cool way to get to appreciate that, I guess, for me because. There's a lot of nits to pick with LeBron and changing teams and the Lakers jokes and memes and whatever you want to point to. But this was just a moment to kind of be like, wow, like that guy has done amazing things for damn near two decades <laughs> in his sport. Well, and, and just it, you don't often get moments where we're actually appreciating the history as it happens, like Kareem being there. The spectacle that it that it felt like, right, like just everything about that night in reading about it and the reporting around it. And it's just some of the things that we, we saw that night, it just felt like a one of one kind of night. Like we are, we're never going to see 
like anything I think like that again. We just we just are not. And like someone's gonna there's gonna be other guys that score a lot of points. There are guys in the league right now that I think surely will continue to score a lot of points and, and get in the top ten or something like that. But the longevity for and for him to meet expectations, right? Like this is like another thing where it's this guy somehow has just never not met expectations in what he's doing. And for him to hit this, it's just like, oh, I'm not even the greatest. You don't consider me having a bag. And how much he talked about that. Like I think I've read that Zach Lowe piece where he talked to Zach Lowe about his moves. And like him being like, oh, I, you know, you don't think I have a bag. Well, like I actually do have this deep bag of tricks and there's never going to be something quite like that ever again. I don't like, even if there's historical moments, even if there's another big LeBron thing on his, in whatever his last year might be, I, I don't think that singular night can ever be recreated. So bizarre too, with the, the montage thing that they played in real time. And then everybody had to get back on the court and play basketball again. And you mentioned the rust Darvin ham fallout and, and whatever it was simultaneously cool, surreal, and a little, a little extra, but in the right kind of way, I think, but just like, it, yeah, unforgettable for sure on, on all sides. And I think the the thing probably above all else with how weird this regular season has been, how few big games there have been. I think that's that moment, that night, that game, those are going to be the the things that I think people associate with this regular season. We'll see what the playoffs bring, but uh, it was it was very cool. But on to your next one, Chris. I'm going to go with a vibe pick on this one. And I'm, I'm just going to... I think the, the Sacramento Kings are the moment. The Sacramento Kings, starting with the, you know, the De'Aaron... I think really the De'Aaron Fox game winner in Orlando. Orlando. And their whole season making the playoffs for the first time. The celebration around that. Light the, light the beam. Just like... All of the stuff around them, the fact that we keep seeing Sabonis and and him like talking and and in the media and, and doing all these different things, like we have not seen something I think like this. And these guys getting kind of the the respect I think they deserve and the the attention I think they deserve, and the the fact that they've earned it and the fact that it just feels like this is something coming out of darkness. This is something coming out of despair and a fan base that like was in a weird spot and a franchise and players that were in a really tough spot. This is again one of those things that it's like there's not like it's very hard to always find things that are applicable to this, right? Like it is hard to always find like there aren't many franchises that are were in as long of a rut and as dire of a rut as the Sacramento Kings. And this season has been them lifting themselves out of it. And Mike Brown, this guy who's been around, he's been coaching in the league for twenty years as a you know, as a head coach a couple times, him being the guy to unlock this and be the right voice for them. This is the beginning of something hopefully in Sacramento. I would like to see you know, hopefully they keep building get better. But this kind of the newness, the the shine of it, I it's gonna be hard to ever see that recreated to me. So I, I have this as one of my moments this whole season for the Sacramento Kings. I had it as well. I had them making the playoffs, you know, as as the the one if I was to to suck it in. But I liked the Fox game winner. I mean that that's one of the signature like highlights of the season for sure. And it's cool to me too. You mentioned those other teams that have had the droughts, like the Mariners in baseball just just got over the hump with theirs. Even the Suns, when they made the finals that year, it was going on a 10-year drought. So I have some some experience. But I think the unique thing with Sacramento is the fact that they they also were in a city and a community that's kind of easy to make into a laughing stock, right? Because like Seattle doesn't really need the Mariners to be good to be like taken seriously, quote unquote, you know. They have Amazon, they have Starbucks, they're a big city, they have beautiful weather and, you know, tourist destinations and a big port that people, you know, take cruises from. Like, I, there's all these things, right? Nobody needs to, like, have a good baseball team to feel like Seattle is respectable. But the Kings, they're associated with, or the Sacramento is associated with the Kings. That's kind of one and one, hand in hand. And so I think it's cool to be able to kind of say F you, right? Like, the, the team and the community and the city to be able to say, like, you don't laugh at us anymore. Like we have this and not like you're pointing out with the, the light, the beam and, and how fun the team is and how young it is and scrappy and everything else. Like it's also, it, it doesn't feel like a joke or an accident. Like they're really here. They have an identity. They play cohesive basketball. Yes. It's, you know, very lopsided toward offense and you can pick all the nits you want about the postseason, but there's still something to be said for, we know what the Kings are as a basketball team, right? Like we, mm-hmm. 
anyone who cares about the NBA is going to say, oh yeah, damn, they like, they score the hell out of the ball. Fox is crazy, this and that. And like, there's even these small things about the season, like Fox being obscene in the clutch. He's, I, I just pulled it up to get the uh, accurate current numbers. He's 30 points ahead of anyone else in clutch points as of right now, toward the end of the season. He, uh, Chris, uh, Keegan Murray has more threes made than any rookie. Where the hell, who saw that coming? That's like a crazy no record one. with Donovan Mitchell and Damian Lillard and stuff on that list. Um, the, the Mike Brown factor that you pointed out, even like Kevin Herter trade that they just kind of stole him from Atlanta and all of a sudden he's really good. And so I guess it's all just sort of like to, to see the pieces put together. This isn't an accident of a season. Um, I had one question for you though, and this kind of got my mind thinking because I read the Baxter Holmes piece on load management that came out on, on Tuesday. And he pointed out, there was a quote in there about how somebody's always, uh, teams are always either tanking or pushing for a championship. And that was a way that, to put the load management phenomenon that I'd never really thought about, Chris, of like, there's either the incentive to shut guys down, to slow roll their their minutes, or to hold them out so they're fresh for the postseason. And because of that, there's there's never an incentive to have somebody go all out if they're a star player. And then I thought of the Kings, and I'm like, well, there's the incentive. Like, it's no wonder to me that this is kind of the most fun team of the regular season for a lot of people because they had everything to play for and they fucking acted like it. It's like, you know what I mean? They came out there every night and you were like, yeah, this is hunger. This is like drive to try to be great at this. And in a season where we talk so much about all this BS on the on the periphery of it, of like, oh, should players be resting? And is it really working? And Kawhi, is it the devil? And all this, it's like, well, just turn on the Kings and like kind of forget about all that for a little while. And that's, I feel like a lot of NBA fans really did that on a nightly basis. And look, I, I think the, the Kings can be an example. And like, I, I understand why teams tank. I, I don't really love it. But I think one of the things with the NBA that I, I, maybe I'm just getting old and grumpy, but one of the things like that I get frustrated People, if by, they're listening to this, are going to think you're 55 the way you talk about yeah, things. I, you're not. That's, um, you look, that's you look very boyish. You're, you're a very young strapping lad chris don't let anyone tell you otherwise <laughs> yeah i know i'm about to be 30 and i'm not really that old but like i've noticed like a shift to where it's just like i just get like i think it's like cheating out fan bases when like, these teams just like don't care and like i i don't understand like why we're asking like these teams to to always care about stuff in, in these instances right like i i get i'm just like what what are we doing here what are we why are we just why are some of these teams just like getting passes for like taking years off and like not trying to be competitive it's one of the things about the nfl is like weird is like the nfl can get at times and teams take us back like there's it's like teams like culturally like that sport cannot tank and it's like wrong to me almost that like in the nba we can see teams tank like that just feels sometimes very off to me and like the sacramento kings obviously had a lot of years being bad and often not on purpose and had star players go there like Boogie at his peak at Sacramento was like an incredible player. And, you know, like they had Halliburton and like, and then they make that trade. And like, all of this is like nonlinear, but like they found success and like built in, like, it seems like are banking on the institutions kind of winning out and like actually trying to establish accountability and culture and purpose. And it's like, huh, funny how that can work, you know? So I am, I am just yeah. very pro like how the Sacramento Kings have gone about their business. And I think other teams that are trying to get out of ruts should look at the Kings as an example. Houston Rockets Absolutely. talking to you. Yeah, right. Anyone. I mean, I think you're right. Like, you know, the Dallas owner Mavericks. had to give... Dallas Mavericks yeah, talking to you. Well, that's exactly what I was thinking about when you said the uh, the point about, you know, taking time off or, or delegitimizing a season <laughs> and what the fans think. It's like, you know, the Mavs, it sounds like Luka's going to continue to play. Both Kyrie and Luka are probable for this game, this huge game on Wednesday night against coincidentally the sacramento kings did you uh um, did you see the luca getting asked about jalen brunson by the way i did yeah he, great mm. player great guy we miss him big difference since he left yeah but like that's the kind of thing that i think people rightly cast aspersions on around the the nba is like the idea that the minute that portland got within sniffing distance of a tasty young player to go get their hands on it's like all right damian lillard who's in, given x to us as you know maybe the one of the best players in franchise history. See you next year. It's like, come on. Like, you know, so I, I agree. Sacramento has been that hungry kind of team pushing the envelope all year, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, I'll, I'll get us into some lighter territory here for a moment, Chris, with my next one. Um, 
I really do think this is something I will remember for a long time from this season because it is one of the most insane things I've ever seen a player do on an NBA court. Okay. And it is from NBA Rivalry Week, Lakers-Celtics, Patrick Beverly getting a camera from a courtside photographer to illustrate a foul call that didn't happen and bringing it to the referee during a stoppage in play to illustrate how bad that ref's call was. We talked about it at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't typically love the antics on, on the part of Patrick Beverly, but there is just absolutely no way to deny the genius of the comedic bit that he pulled out over the course of an athletic event and just made him an absolute mockery of all of it in real time. And I salute him heavily. And it was probably the last thing that he did that anyone cared about as a Laker. And it's a great fitting way to end his time. Uh, just doing the most at all times and, and making you wonder whether he's actually a basketball player or just a plant by uh, any number of comedy groups or FBI agents. I'm not sure. Uh, but but I, love, I love this moment from Patrick Beverly, and it is one of my top five for the year. Maybe someone did this and I, and I missed it, but um, it feels like a really big missed opportunity to me that, so, that someone did not like go find the photographer that had their camera taken by Patrick Beverly and like did a Q and a with them. Like someone in, in there, like in that arena should have like found that photographer been like, you know what? Everyone's going to hear what LeBron had to say. Everyone's going to hear what the Celtics had to say. Pat Bev, whomever. Like, mm-hmm. I really feel like someone should have went and talked to the, the photographer and like, I hope they're doing okay. I hope their camera's okay. If it's not okay, like I hope like their work, their like employer, like gave them like a nice new camera. Like I hope that they just have a happy ending with this camera. But yeah, I kind of yeah. love the idea of it being like an intern that, or like one of those like a college newspaper photographer who was just yeah. there, like getting the experience of a lifetime. Like, did I really luck out? How how much did I luck out getting to cover Lakers Celtics? I'm 19. I'm I'm just bright eyed and bushy tailed, and then all of a sudden here comes the most insane person associated with pro basketball in the world charging toward me, asking for the device in my hand. Pretty, and then I have pretty to give it to him. Also like the most reliable guy we have in the league, as far as like creating memes, like think about how many, I can't tell you how many times I've seen like people make using his, the clip of him, like uh, jumping on top of the scoreboard after the wolves won the playing game is like a, to like make fun of like a small account, people like accomplishing something really small, you know? Like he already had that. the two small to LeBron even since exactly he's like, almost just, one up himself since this happens. So. And then Austin Reeves hits him back with it. Like all of, like yeah. Patrick Beverly for like all of the the antics and like how it doesn't always work with him. Even when he gets to LA, lest we forget. Do you remember he said that I made the playoffs last year and they didn't? Yeah. You remember that? Just like this guy is like just a, a, a content machine. He has and a like, podcast, so well, I guess he's yeah. on the right track. He knows he knows where his bread is buttered. Um, yeah, uh, loved this, did not love him genuinely trying to injure Chris Paul multiple times in the playoffs. I mean, there, no, I mean, there's a reason like that Russell Westbrook, uh, you know, they played together, but like did not like him for a long time. And that's because, uh, people who Patrick Beverly intentionally hurt him. Dylan Brooks is just jealous that he didn't make the list. He's not on the level yet. Patrick Beverly is, is the king of this Uh, and and Dylan, Dylan can only hope for the crown really. Yeah. Uh, did you see KD saying right, nice things about Dylan Brooks, by the way? Uh, I didn't get to that point in the podcast yet, but uh, I did see that I saw, that happened. I, I just um, saw the clip on it, yeah. Yeah. They do these I'm, private podcasts on their website. It's silly, but... Yeah. Well, whatever. You're We're never going to do that. Yeah. All right, so my, mine is Embiid versus Jokic in Philly. This was like the head-to-head matchup between these two guys that were probably the only one we're going to get all year. Embiid has 46. They lead a comeback. He has the big moment. It was just fucking fun to see these two great players like go against each other in these big moments. Like we don't get enough of this in the NBA. The NBA doesn't sell it, I think, well enough in some of these moments. Mm-hmm. And like the, I think the schedule and some of the the goofiness of of what goes on in the league, I think, kind of takes away from this at times as well. But Embiid versus Jokic, these two titans in the MVP race in Philly in that environment, it was one of those games. Like I really wish I could have been at just to feel it, but it, it translated incredibly on TV. It maybe even matter. I think watching back the highlights that we didn't get it again in Denver. Obviously, I think for understandable reasons, considering the the Embiid injured stuff in the playoffs coming up. But 
this was like truly just two of the league's very best going head to head. And like, I, it, it felt right that we got it. And just Embiid, the way he played in that game, leading the comeback again, having 46, winning that matchup, it felt like a really big moment at the time. I think this was the most fun game of the season. I had this on my honorable mentions list. I think it was the my, probably the best game of the season too. It wasn't yeah. just like, um, you know, it wasn't just the stakes or the MVP stuff. It was actually like a great basketball game. Embiid mm-hmm. hitting that three at the end. Um, Harden had a three there. The way that you felt Philly kind of felt like they gained a, a level of confidence when they started to force Jokic into some mistakes, which is just not something you see, you know, a great player kind of struggling in that environment is always fun to watch. And again, it made us kind of crave what the next chapter would look like and we didn't get it, but um, yeah, it's, it's two Titans going up against each other kind of vying for the MVP. And I do feel like that was a moment where Embiid his MVP candidacy started to turn and you can trace it back to right now where it sound it feels sounds from everyone's comments like he's going to win it. Um, and that that game kind of started that off. Speaking of that, what do you make of all these guys publicly vouching for Embiid as their MVP? Curry did it now. Uh, I think Dame had said something as well. Yep. Do you make do you have any idea why they're going? Because it's one thing to think it, but they're like going out of their way to, to publicize it. Look, I, I gave credence to it. You know, I, I think it should count for something if these guys in the league are, are saying that. John Lucas, the the former head coach, you know, very valued assistant and kind of leader in Houston, um, said the same thing, right? So it's something similar. Well, why do you think they're saying it, though? That's what I'm curious about. I do think it matters. <laughs> I do think it will affect voters, but I wonder what why they are going out of their way to make their opinion known when they don't have to. I think there is something to the idea that, like, and they feel like Embiid should be rewarded, and I don't think that's like an uncompelling un- argument. I don't. I don't want to say that like exactly. I think that's kind of the, what got at Dame's thing more than anything else is that he feels like they need to honor a guy who hasn't kind of got it, and that you like what, for whatever reason they feel like Jokic has to like raise that level. But it it just seems like there's just like a respect for Embiid and what he does and how good he is that I it seems like his fellow players want to see recognized more than anything else. Do you think players are more? This is kind of a, a silly like sports talk kind of argument, but it it because they're Coming talking in about hot. it, it makes it makes me <laughs> curious. Do you think opposing players like the great players, Curry, Lillard, whoever else? Not that everyone feels exactly the same way, but on the whole, are they more worried when they suit up against and beat in the Sixers or Jokic in the Nuggets? Because I do feel like the answer might be Philly, and that that's part of what's going on here is. Yeah, they have a greater level of fear of Embiid and like respect, like competitive respect for him than they do Jokic. I absolutely think it's a Embiid defensive kind of thing with that. So I, I don't think you're wrong. What Embiid has done a couple of times this year with against like Ja as one example, um, even the other night against the Luca and, and Kyrie and the Mavs, like Ben it would terrify me. So that's part of why I ask. Like he, he just, he, he, he can take over a game on both ends in a way that not a lot of players in the entire league can. So uh, we can talk about his MVP uh, when he gets it. And next week when we do our awards, we'll see who we vote for, but um, I'll do uh, my next one, Chris, the Kevin Durant trade. Yeah. I think this is probably the transaction off court thing that we will most closely associate with this season. I think LeBron breaking the record is the on-court thing. I think this is the off-court thing that we'll kind of remember this year by. Um, It just felt so out of nowhere, I think. And it felt like the saga had at least one more year to go on it, Um, at least to me personally. I mean, did you think when Kyrie asked out the weekend before the deadline, he gets traded to the Mavs the Sunday before the deadline, two year, two days after he asks for the trade. If we did a podcast that that Sunday, I don't think either one of us were really thinking Durant was going to be traded four days later. It just felt so impossible. And then all of a sudden he's joining a team that was in the finals two years ago and, mm-hmm. you know, a couple more legendary players to add to his you know, list, endless list of, of star teammates. Like that, that's what I think it really boils down to for me is just that it felt so out of nowhere and crazy. 
And you just don't get a lot of those <laughs> in, in, in sports. It's just something where you just, your jaw drops. Yeah, I, I did not think so, but then the dam broke, right? Like the dam shattered and it, this, these things change. And it's a reminder of how fast things can change in the league. And then obviously, you know, Durant's hurt at the time. So it, like, he's kind of like this looming like specter of death, like waiting to come and like destroy the Western Conference. And it is this thing kind of hanging over everything still. It's like it. I, it, to me, it almost feels like we haven't talked about like Durant enough because he just hasn't played enough. But like he is one of the all-time great players, one of the best players in the league, who's having a fantastic two-way season before he gets hurt, and then he's hurt and just kind of been out. And it's like, oh, like this guy might just like make a rip off a title run this year, and it's just just kind of like hanging out there as like a dangling thread. So I, I, and like you just don't. We saw a lot of big trades last summer. We saw Kyrie traded this year. We've seen Anthony Davis traded. We've seen like lots of players traded. Like we're in this era of movement. Lots of picks going out. We've never seen, I think, a guy at Durant's level at a, what he's accomplished. Like there's not really like a historical, like analogous trade to me of like Kevin Durant getting traded like that. Like especially in season. These things happen usually in the offseason. This just feels like a really, really big deal. Even just now. Also even just- now. Just feels big. Feels really big. I love the confidence and cockiness of kind of calling his shot in this way too. Of just we we've all you know it's been kind of beaten into the ground how malleable he is and how easy it seems like it's going to be for him to fit in. But this is just the ultimate way to prove that. And it's so it's so like cocky and kind of asinine. Like just like I'm not only great. But I'm so great, and I'm and I reduce this game that you all struggle to even, you know, maximize or or break through in. I, I I make I reduce it to basically playground ball because I'm so amazing at what I do that I'm going to change teams while I'm hurt. And the minute I step back on the court, my team's going to be among the favorites to win the championship because of me. You know, it's like it it's that it's that that video clip that I think is going to define his career forever of just you know my you know my name, you know who I am, right? Like I'm Kevin fucking Durant. That's what he told us and he's just lived up to that. Uh I don't know. I think that part of it is is cool. I know some people don't like it. They don't respect that he has done this so many times whatever. Not a debate that I like having, but I do think there's something very cool about him kind of upping the ante and raising the stakes on that whole debate even more by saying, watch this, like, let me do it in two months. And then, and then tell me how, how much you still hate it. Cause you'll be, you'll be too impressed to even be a hater anymore. You know? Yeah. I, he is again, another guy that is just like unique in so many ways and just kind of out there in different ways in so many ways that I, I, I feel as if sometimes like we take him a little bit for granted. Honestly, I really do. I know that's like you cliche. Think he's too weird to be appreciated. Is that what you're nah, saying? I know. I I think people don't. I I think just the fact that he's like this guy who argues people online and carries himself and does kind of does things how he wants. I think that makes him hard to understand. But I think that makes him even more compelling. I really I actually really do. don't. Here's the thing: is like I actually don't even think he's that hard to understand anymore. I actually think he's like at the most simple straightforward perspective and persona that he's ever had in his career i think that's a huge testament to him just like figuring it out Mm -hmm. i don't think he's i don't think there's i don't mean this in like a you're a a dullard kind of way i just mean i don't think there's a lot going on there like i think it's just a dude who is in his mid-30s trying to cap off an amazing career and just trying to do that in a place where he can be less stressed out and like at peace and as competitive as he can be. Like, I, I think you're right that he gets underestimated because of that, but I feel like it's kind of an outdated perception of him a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right. Um, my last one is a pretty simple one. I don't think we need to get too big into it, but it's another great game from this season. It was this, that Celtic 76ers game. Maybe just watched him with Sixers this year. That ended with Jason Tatum just kind of dominating and making a ton of threes and just kind of being the best player on the floor for the last couple minutes. And then Embiid hits that like full court shot at the buzzer that doesn't go in, but like would have extended the game. This was just like Philly really playing the best I can really remember them playing against Boston. It still wasn't enough because of what Tatum did. And just another really high, high, high level basketball game. 
one of the things in this exercise, Brandon, that like I'm going to make sure I do, I think, for the playoffs and next season and the WBA season, because if there's a game that just like was incredible, I'm going to keep a running log because I want easier access to this. But I was going through box scores. I was going through my notes. This was one of the games that I just I felt like it deserved the shout because it was a lot of fun in real time. Really, really high level play. Amazing. One of the best Tatum games of the season. And he's you know going to finish fourth in MVP, but it's been, I think, really great this year. And just another like Embiid kind of thing, or it's just like, goddamn, this guy. I think the top of the East, one through five, any of the combinations of those two teams playing over the course of the season has given us awesome games. Yeah. Like Boston, Cleveland, I think all of the games they played have been really there good. Was one, there was one bad one in Boston, and then Jalen Brown said the, Celt- the Celtics had figured out how to play Cleveland, and then Cleveland... Uh, with there's no Tatum and some other guys next time, but like there was a really close game, but it got really competitive, and the the, the two to start the year were both awesome. like cracking, yeah, yeah. Celtic Sixers, the the uh, one of the ones that I thought about putting on was Bucks Sixers when Embiid mm-hmm. guarded Giannis down yep. the stretch. The Sixers won. They had Tucker and Harris both end up out of the game in the first half, so you, they were closing with Niang and McDaniel's, and they won. They beat Giannis and the Bucks, so. Um, I think all of these are great. Where are you on the Celtics right now heading into the end of the year? Because they've lost some clunkers and they've also won some big ones and they're a little bit hard to pin down. I think they'd be my second team coming out of the East. I think I favor Milwaukee, but they mat- they've matched up historically pretty well with Milwaukee. So I wouldn't be like shocked if they made the finals, but I, I trust the Bucks more but i i would say they're my number two pretty clearly ahead of philly and ahead of the rest of these but i they're they're number two with a you know with a bullet behind milwaukee for me right now i like it i i think i i think that i still do trust them and i think we take their depth a little bit for granted the fact that they have two six man of the year candidates as well as shooting and defensive versatility and everything you basically could want from a team if the bucks didn't if the bucks didn't exist they would be like my number one but the bucks exist yeah i think the celtics just will need to get out of their own way with the three-pointers and not let that be what defines their their luck like yes they're going to take a ton of threes so they're going to swing highs and lows a lot but tatum and brown are just going to need to have a playoff stretch a postseason run where they make that stuff not matter as much um all right let me get to my last one here it is the Stan Spitten saga, if you remember this. I do. Kevin Durant, another one with KD. This was not intentional. I genuinely was thinking of it as a Stan Van Gundy thing and forgot that Durant was the other guy. Um, but that's, I guess, my homerism showing a little bit here as well. But for those who might have forgotten, Stan Van Gundy tweeted on January 17th. He also made his Twitter account locked, Chris. I just, I was literally just literally, I I pulled up the link and I clicked the tweets and now I'm a little like, what the heck? Yeah, I'm like, is he okay? Is everything all right? Um, Whatever. 90s NBA teams had just a trainer and a strength coach. They practiced more often and harder and played more back-to-backs. Teams now have huge medical and performance staffs and value rest over practice, yet injuries and games missed are way up. Something's not working. And then Durant quote tweeted him, said Stan Spitten, or I don't even think he quote tweeted him. He just said it. And then Van Gundy replied thinking, getting immediately defensive and trying to explain himself and whatever, thinking he's on the wrong side of a KD Twitter beef once again. And then (laughs) Durant responded, Stan, I agree with you, LOL. Um, And then Stan Van Gundy had to get educated that Spitten, in fact, meant that somebody was telling the truth and very correct and uh, his his old manism and his 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 race, I think, showed in a combination there. Um, and it was hilarious. I love Stan Van Gundy as a character in the NBA. I, I love him as an announcer as well. But uh, he is he is very funny to me and is never afraid to just be the oldest person in the room. And this was a great illustration of it. Also, just want to say shouts to KD for just like actually like kind of like sharing his thoughts on things. I, I don't think enough NBA pl- um, like more NBA players should be comfortable doing that. And I understand why like some of them don't love the media or whatever, or like CS in a certain way. But uh, like, honestly, like we all I think the, the best of us and the ones who mean well are just want to like learn about basketball and talk to people about it. And like this was fun. And like, I think showing your personality is like fun. 
it's it's one of the other good ones with Durant. I think the the best one will still be the debate with Matt Moore, where he said no one wants to look at a graph while they're having a basketball debate. Um, <laughs> what's funny about that one though too is like similar to this, like it became kind of a joke and a meme, but at the same time, Durant actually ended up having a real conversation about like mid range jumpers and rhythm and what the numbers of value over one shot versus another don't always get about how players are approaching it and all that stuff. So again, a, a W for just having real conversations as an athlete, but, um, Duran is Duran is content gold, man. And, uh, even though he was injured for half this season, he, he gave us a couple to, to remember. Yeah. Uh, I have two honorable mentions. Okay. Number one, LeBron saying I went to the LeBron James defeat. Yeah. Just like, all-timer. I- iconic. All-timer. Second all-timer. Another thing I was in person for. Donovan Mitchell saying, him and I have had our personal batters for years. Quite frankly, I've been busting his ass for years in reference to Dylan Brooks after Dylan Brooks punched him in the balls. Oh, yeah. Dylan Brooks punching Donovan in the balls is a good one. And then, yeah, that fallout afterward. I forgot about that moment. Uh, we, didn't, we honestly, it's good that we had something with Dylan Brooks because his shenanigans have been like a, they've, a, a, a through line. They've been a running thing, but this was like the thing that was just like, I think really like brought, like this elevated him to like a real heel. This was like his heel turn to use like a wrestling term. Yeah. Um, this was like, I remember I was sitting on press row sitting next to the guy close locked on Cavs with, and I said, oh shit. Once we saw what was popping off. And then, like, the whole arena is, like, quiet for, like, five minutes to sort everything out. And then Donovan, we're, like, talking. I'm talking to the media room with people. We're, like, oh, are they even going to have him come in because he got ejected? Or, like, he, like what's that going to be? He brought himself in so he could say this, like, to be very clear. Like, he didn't, like, have, like, a PR person bring him in. He didn't do it at his locker. He's, like, where can I go talk to the most amount of people and talk shit about Dylan Brooks? And he went and did it. And it was, like, goddamn. Just goddamn. Dylan Brooks is... Uh... I'm interested to see how his his shenanigans go. He's loved loved it with the Grizzlies is the thing. Oh, of course. I think I think the team that has the players like that always do. He's at this crossroads, though, where it's like he's obviously not as good as somebody like Draymond. And he's kind of at his peak. Like, I don't think a lot of people are looking at Dylan Brooks as if he's going to get better. And it's not like arguing with Draymond Green. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's just the passing of the baton. But yeah. it's like, if you're not going to be a great player like Draymond, you have to, I think, be even more obnoxious if you're going to stay in the public eye, like Patrick Beverly, right? He's not even that good all, all most seasons, and yet he's thought of as this, you know, difference maker because he just overdoes it. So Brooks, I think, is going that way, and he's. I think next year he just has to one-up himself. I think the... I mean, in the playoffs. This is just the the, the floor. Yeah, the playoffs to start. Yeah, but this, this was... This was great. I this was this was this was like a fun night for me at the arena. <laughs> I have one last honorable mention. We got to my other ones. We didn't have any dunks on on our lists, and so mm. I feel like I have to say this one. My personal favorite dunk of the season was Aaron Gordon on Landry Shamit on Christmas. Oh yeah, this is this is the dunk of the year. Easy. I'm dunk glad of you the agree year. because there's been some jaw dunks and some ant dunks that have gotten some attention, but those. They're just, you know, those guys are freak athletes. You get them downhill. There's a, you know, plotting seven footer helpless, you know, man child standing there in the way and they're just going to yam on their head. It's something we've seen before. The Aaron Gordon one was at a full sprint and transition. It's Aaron Gordon. So it's just somebody we already know is one of the best dunkers in the league. Threw the ball through the basket and Landry Shamit flew backward more than I thought was possible for one person to do on a basketball court in that situation. And it just felt the most disrespectful, the most forceful. It was a big, it was a big game. It was a fun game. It was a big win by Denver. It's Christmas. So more people are watching Twitter explodes, all that stuff. Um, I think it's far and away the best one. Yeah, I agree. I went and looked at a bunch of the best dunks and this was the only one that made me really like, Get out of my seat. I mean, like, I, I feel like Mac McClung's dunk contest, like maybe saving the dunk contest, deserves some love here as well. But the best in-game dunk is Aaron Gordon just detonating a bomb. I couldn't include Mac McClung as the best anything of the NBA season. It just no, it but like, look, right. that was that was like the funnest part of All Star Weekend to me, mm-hmm. probably. And like, it, it felt like a moment to some degree. It was. 
TBD on if he saved it. He'll be back next year. He saved his own uh, participation in it. We'll see. We'll see to, if he others follow suit. He needs like a title belt is the thing. He needs like a WWE yeah. style like title belt. I'm all for WWE-ifying All-Star Weekend if it means just more entertainment factor. So give me the give me the trash. Give me the garbage. I will watch it. Um, Mac McClung or otherwise. Uh, that'll wrap us up for today, though, guys. Follow us on social media wherever you are. We are Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. A big thanks to Dylan Heiser and Jake Stevens for producing. That'll wrap us up for the regular season. We will not be back until after all the games have uh, finished and the dust has cleared on Sunday night. We'll have our awards. We'll have our final predictions for uh, or our initial predictions for the first round of the playoffs and play in and all that stuff. And we will be off to the races for the postseason. Um, we'll talk to you then.